what would you say to someone who just feels overwhelmed, overloaded and quite frank, over it? I come back to the airline analogy of put your mask on first. I felt like if I was already going 140%, where was I going to get the next 20% from? And I could see the business still needed another 20%. You know, I came to one of our coaching sessions having had a really bad experience at a board meeting. I'd been rushing until literally minutes before the board meeting. I remember just being behind the pace and then you taught me box breathing and so i was like okay everything else andrew said's worked so let's try this what does your better week look like now so i should probably call my ea in for this part of the interview <laughs> you thought i had rocks in my head <laughs> <laughs> i said you need to slow down in order to speed up what did you think of me what did you think of the narrative you were getting from me and you can be as honest as you want i thought you were crazy <laughs> shelly roberts eight years ago the overstretched, overwhelmed and over it. Would have she even put a hand up for a role like what you're doing? I don't know that I would have ever been offered the role. I was out of capacity. I don't know that anyone looking at the way I was leading would have thought that's a scalable model. Your methodology is grounded on having changed many people's lives. If you do these things, you will reap the benefits. Optimise performance through adapting your physical, psychological and emotional state. Hey, it's Andrew and welcome to another edition of the Performance Intelligence Podcast, the podcast about all things human performance. Hey, it's me. Just a quick note before we start this episode. I'd love you to subscribe to the Performance Intelligence Podcast. And I know you probably hear this on so many other podcasts and like me, you switch off. But can I ask you to please go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. And while you're there, extra bonus, leave a rating and review. That's it. Now let's get on to this week's guest. Today's guest is a powerhouse who I had the opportunity to work with as her performance coach a few years ago when she lived in Australia. Now residing in Surrey, Shelley Roberts is the Group Chief Commercial Officer of Compass Group, the world's largest food and support service company. Let's take a look at these statistics on Compass globally and a big thank you to Georgina, Shelley's EA, for providing us with these statistics. Compass has over 510 thousand employees globally. They are based in 40 countries. The number of meals served each year across the world by Compass is 5.5 billion. Unbelievable amount of meals. They don't just do food. Other sectors include healthcare, education, defense, offshore and remote and support services. Just a massive, massive business. Shelley's previous roles have included Managing Director of Compass Australia, Executive Director of Tiger Airways Australia and leadership positions at Macquarie Airports, Macquarie Bank and EasyJet Airline. She is a mother, a marathon runner. I've got to talk to you about that. I got a message from this lady a couple of weeks ago. OMG, she's just at a marathon. I felt, I felt lazy. I felt sluggish. I felt totally useless when I got that message. Good on you, Shelley. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. What an introduction, Andrew. Um, I can't imagine you ever feeling lazy, but there we go. I did. I got your message. It was a Saturday morning. I think I'd done an ocean swim and I was feeling real chipper. I'd banged out one and a half K and fairly fresh water. And then I got that and I'm winding you up a little bit. I was so proud of you. Really was proud. So uh, I think a rough frame today, because I know you're busy. We've got a, a tight schedule. I can't wrap it on too much. That's what I took from the small preamble at the start. I'd like to talk about our coaching story when I first met you and whether you're doing the executive building block. So a little quiz for you on that. I'm really curious, how have you adapted to a global role? You've been there in the UK now for about 18 months, probably right on 18 months. I want to know what, what really worked, what was hard, what would you do differently next time? I love your story and I want everyone to know that the backstory growing up in South Africa. You've told me little bits of that. And I want to pull on that thread a little bit more just to find out you know, what shaped you, why a lot of those experiences have made you the woman you are. We're going to talk about mental skills in practice. When I first worked with you, now I call myself a mental skills coach, Shelley. When we first met five, six years ago, I was just starting that. You know, I did it as an athlete. I studied psychology, but it wasn't part of my job, which it is now. But I want to know, what are you doing in practice to change state? Because you're now doing like massive presentations, a global role. I, I want to hear how you're going. And there's a story I'll remind you of when you didn't do this when I met you. I don't know whether you remember <laughs> what we're going to talk about. And finally, we'll talk about performance 
uncovered 13 questions just to find out more about you, your quirks and what makes you tick. So before we get into the coaching story, the marathon, what, why, how, when? (laughs) How to set yourself the impossible goal. I uh, unfortunately lost my dad in December quite quickly or it was quite a, a shock to all of us. And he had been suffering from uh, dementia. And so I decided I wanted to do something that was really transformative, that would celebrate his life, that would be something really, really hard and really difficult for me to do. And Andrew, the bit you didn't kindly say is when we met eight years ago, you know, I was struggling to run 400 metres around the field. I've not been the sort of person I could take a gentle, casual walk for 40 minutes, but I've never been an athlete. And the thought of doing a marathon would never have even occurred to me. But I wanted to really push myself and, and in a way, you know, recognise what he had meant to me. And really with that, that energy and that power that came with that momentum, if you like, uh, yes, I was able to do it. <laughs> I obviously did a bit of training uh, before that, put my faith in a training program and just thought, you know, the training program and my dad's memory would carry me over the line. And it was just a truly, truly remarkable experience. For anyone who hasn't run the London Marathon, I would say it's absolutely the the marathon to run. For the entire distance, you've got hordes of people on the streets cheering you on. And so if you're the sort of person who responds to some external support and energy, it's it's absolutely the one to pick. I didn't realise that about your dad. I'm sorry to hear that. I can see your eyes light up, though, as you reflect. So that love, the connection, your dad looking down. Yeah, what do you think he thought as you got through that 42.4 kilometres? Well, you know how we always sort of say Siri's listening. The most remarkable thing was I finished the race and I pulled out my phone to call my husband <laughs> and say, this is where I am in the sea of 10,000 people. And my photos scroll through my phone onto, my, my, you know, onto the face of my phone. And there was a photo of my dad. My phone had picked at that moment to serve me up that photo. And so, you know, for whatever you think uh, about the universe, I do believe that he was there in that moment to congratulate me and support me. I got goosebumps. If we're in the studio together, I'd give you a massive hug right now. I couldn't. <laughs> I feel like I need one. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Wiz, can you give me a hug? I've been asking Wiz to hug me a lot lately. He's, he said to me recently, it's above his pay grade. It's a beautiful story. I didn't, as I said, I didn't realise that. And when we did meet eight years ago, look, you don't be too hard on yourself. That's my job, Shelley, as your coach. <laughs> you could do 400 metres, maybe 500. But you, you, you're definitely not going to run a marathon. If you told me back then, hey, I'm going to run a marathon in six months, I, I, I would have said, no, your body's not right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's incredible. And that's why, you know, we're talking today, because actually what I learned and the life skills I learned in that program I did with you, and obviously, you know, we've carried on talking since then, but it was so profound that it really, it did set my life on a different trajectory. And I don't just mean in terms of exercise, I really mean in terms of the way I approach life and how I think about uh, each day. There were skills that, that I learned that I apply each day. So, you know, it's great to, to have the opportunity to, to share some of that again. When I met you, your nickname was Sunshine Shelley. So if you got up a whole <laughs> different level, what do they call you now? <laughs> oh, well, you know, living in the UK, I, I'm quite happy to stick to the sun, Sunshine Shelley, but uh, we, we are having a remarkable summer. It's 32 degrees outside. I'm feeling quite, quite happy about that. But no, I mean, I, I, I love your Sunshine Shelley. It actually lifts me every time. Uh, I hear it. I know you grew up in South Africa, but I'd like to delve into that a little bit more. So tell me, uh, tell me about your childhood. What was it like? Uh, what did you learn growing up in South Africa? I grew up in my dad's restaurant, and my dad came to South Africa as an immigrant um, and set up his own restaurant. Initially, he trained as a chef in someone else's restaurant, and then went out on his own and set up his own business. Nice. Where, where was your dad from? He was from Austria. And he came to South Africa as an immigrant. And as you know, when you're setting up a small business, and I'm sure many people listening to this podcast, you go all in. And so we rented in a building and we lived above the restaurant. And so from the age of three, when I'd come home from school or the park, I would talk to the guests in the restaurant. (laughs) And um, it's really been an incredible training ground for me. I feel it really helped me develop my commercial acumen because my dad had me do everything in the restaurant Much of that was out of necessity rather than design, but it was really incredible to do everything from costing menus to obviously working the till and making sure counting the cash at the end of the day. 
And then obviously, you know, engaging with our guests when they arrived. Was this still at three or was this a <laughs> I'm just thinking, wow, you're a, you're a smart three, right? You had a lot more going on than me. Yeah, I, was- I reckon he waited on to like an hour two and two for me to cost the menus. Um, but it's certainly from a very early age, uh, you know, being involved in the restaurant. And it was, you know, very much a family business as a lot of small businesses are. Um, and it was a case of not seeing my dad a lot um, because he obviously worked very hard. The restaurant was open seven days a week. And as we know, for lunch and dinner, that doesn't leave much time in between. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we basically wanted to see my parents came down and got involved. Have you sat back and reflected and gone, wow, that family of origin, the connection? I never knew that. Like I knew you were from South Africa and I was excited to talk to you. Like I, I always love catching up with you. But in a podcast, we get to go a little bit deeper and pull on a few threads. So I didn't realize that. But have you sat back and actually gone, wow, that little three-year-old girl who wanted to connect with dad, and now she's serving meals across Australia? No, but that's always a good thing about talking to you, Andrew, because you cause real-time reflection in the chair, don't you? <laughs> well, it's a big thing, right? Like from the three-year-old doing the till and um, adding yeah. balance sheets. To- yeah, I mean, I think probably my reflection had gone as deep previously as how is it that I'm so comfortable talking to people? I love walking to a room and meeting new people. And I think that's just because it was an everyday occurrence and was really just part of my upbringing. Yeah. So school life in South Africa, what was it like? Look, I I grew up in the apartheid era. I went to a very progressive school. In fact, at one stage, our principal was jailed because we sang Nkosi Sikilele before it became the national anthem in our school hall. And that was outlawed. So I had the opportunity to do a number of cultural exchange programs, which was really eye-opening. I lived in a township for a while on one of the cultural exchange programs, So school in South Africa was very different depending on the type of school you went to and what opportunities your school wanted to create around integration. But I was incredibly privileged to actually have those opportunities. And I think that really helped me to see the injustice and the inequity. Mm. And that's something that really drives me today. I remember at the age of six being in a bus with my dad and one of the days he was off. (laughs) And he took us to an ice rink because, of course, he was Austrian, so he wanted to teach us to ice skate. And we got on the bus and he said, no, Shetty, you can't sit there. And I said, why? And he said, that's the black section. And that really, really struck with me. I mean, as I say it, I can still actually see that experience playing out in front of me. And so, you know, I think that's been something that really, really drives me, which is to create inclusive places, whether that's a community or workplace, because that part of my brain I'm not in any way proud of. And it's something that I suppose, you know, I've always wanted to to remediate in the rest of my life. Those lessons as a young girl in the restaurant at a young age have had a massive impact on you. I, I had no idea. That's what I love about mm. these conversations. <laughs> it's shaped you. It's really imprinted in you this fairness, this diversity. Because I, I hear a lot of people talk about it. And I see a number of companies have it on their brochures but they don't have it on their behaviours. And mm. you go, ah, oh, it read so well, but you did so little. But with you, it's congruent. And mm. it's lovely to see where that's come from. Mm. Thank you. And I'm very fortunate to work in an organisation like Compass where it is really a shared value. It was one of the things that impressed me most when I came to interview with the organisation was those values just jump out at you. Um, and they're not top down, they're actually bottom up, which is incredible. Mm. So where do you draw inspiration from? We've profiled 15 women who work um, in our organisation. And just this morning I was reading about JAR. And JAR is one of our team members at our hospital, um, the Royal Iron Ear Hospital in Melbourne, and she's one of our cleaning team. And when I read her story, it's it's just so incredible and so inspiring. So she became an orphan when her house was bombed in Cambodia. She then got sent to a camp on the border of the Thai border. Eventually she was adopted by a Thai family but at the age of 17, was sent out to work. So she started working. She found an Australian husband, moved to Australia, then found she was in an abusive relationship with her husband. So she stood up for herself and she actually divorced her husband. But then she found herself in a series of temporary work. And, of course, low-paid work, low-skilled work because she didn't have any formal qualifications here in Australia. Um, Eventually, Compass gave her the opportunity to study for a Cert three. And as a result of that, she's now got a permanent position. But not only has she stabilised her work life, but she continues to cook food on Saturdays to take to the temple. She's, she practices a Buddhist religion and just give back to her community. And I just, when I look at someone like her, I think, 
wow, you know, talk about resilience, that's resilient. Um, to have gone through all of that. And I think how lucky are we to have someone like that in our workplace? So how do we learn from them? You know, next time I want her to be sitting up here telling you her story, not me. Oh, I'm just thinking, <laughs> like, how amazing. Because I, I ask that question and people often say, it's a book, it's a play, it's a poem. And I often lead into that. Yeah. But I specifically asked you an open-ended yeah. question. Oh, that's beautiful with you. We have so many people like that in our organisation and actually taking the time to notice them and taking the time to hear their stories. It's part of a, a process we do called leadership interactions where we go to site and we'll actually speak to people and understand who they are as opposed to what is the work that they're performing. And I could, you know, give you 10 more stories like give that. Give me one more. <laughs> well, okay. So I'll tell you about Dolly then. So I met Dolly when we were preparing the meals for the Ruby Princess, um, which was that stand-up kitchen that we did. And I was walking around and Dolly just looked incredibly distressed. I mean, this is now what was it, like the 4th of April or something. So we were knee-deep in COVID. And so I introduced myself and we had a bit of a chat and Dolly said, well, I'm on my own in Australia because my husband um, has had to go up to India to see his parents and he's now got trapped there. He can't get back into the country. And I'm doing this work casually because, you know, I've been stood down for my other role and I don't know where the paycheck's coming for to pay the rent for next week. And so I had a bit of a chat with the supervisor who was there and I said, okay, as long as this program keeps going, can we please make sure Dolly, Dolly gets some shifts? Anyway, fast forward um, a few months later and I go into the hotel quarantine program and I'm walking through one of the basements, talking to the people who are, are you know, checking the bags there and Dolly comes running up to me and she says, Shady, Shady, I'm here. <laughs> so Dolly had progressed from casual work um, to, to the work in the hotel quarantine program. And then just recently, um, we've won the contract to serve breakfast at the Holiday Inn Express uh, hotels nationally. And so I went up to um, to Newcastle to the Holiday Inn Express where our team were. I was actually on holiday in the area, so I popped in and there was Dolly. So, you know, if you just think about that as a progression through COVID from being a casual team member to now being a supervisor at a brand new site that we didn't even have during COVID, it's just a great example of what can actually happen. Mm. So as much as we talk about the woes of COVID, you know, there are these highlight moments and I think we just have to share those highlight moments and, and talk about them. And for people listening, what they won't have seen then is your eyes <laughs> got a little bit glistening and you teared up. Yeah, well, I just think, you know, it, everyone needs someone looking out for them. I, I was very fortunate in my career. I had people look out for me and give me advice and, you know, nudge me in the right direction. And I think if we can do that for someone, there's nothing more inspiring than that. We were first introduced by Eileen Hoggett. Eileen has just recently been promoted to a new role in KPMG Australia. She's the Chief Operating Officer. And when we sat down, it was in the building, Barangaroo at KPMG, and I'll take you back there. We were having a coffee. I think I got you on the piccolos because I didn't want you having too much milk. And <laughs> <laughs> and then, what's this idiot I've just doing? I've progressed to intermittent fasting, Andrew. So now oh, I have good. black, black good. Uh, espressos. <laughs> why, why don't we just we just get Shelley to tell everyone just do this, 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 this. <laughs> Cut me out. This would be a much better podcast. It'll be like a tutorial. You thought I had rocks in my head because you were telling me you had this big role. You were managing director of Compass Australia, Australia's largest catering company, and big expansion plans. You were spinning. And I said, you need to slow down in order to speed up. Pick up the story. What did you think of me? What did you think of the narrative you were getting from me? And you can be as honest as you want. I thought you were crazy. I thought, how is that possible? And it's really hard when you've had a success formula that's got you so far. When someone says to you, you need to do the antithesis of that, it's a really, really big leap of faith. And I'm really an experiment, experiential learner. And so I was like, well, great. You know, I look at Andrew. He's done all these wonderful things. It's great that he thinks that's the answer. But for me to buy into that, I actually had to start doing it. And I think that's the benefit of being on the program and having the check-ins and, you know, I knew you were going to hold me to account in the next check-in when we sat down for our next piccolo and you were going to say to me, right, so how did that work? And so I started bit by bit. And I think, you know, I, I did have a desire to change because I felt that uh, probably in my heart of hearts, I felt like if I was already going 140%, where was I going to get the next 20% from? And I could see that the business still needed another 20%. And I think that, you know, what, what I was through the program, what, what you helped me with was to find the tools and the techniques, but take me on a journey step by step that would help me to change what had been a lifelong pattern and make it durable. 
And I think, you know, the point that we're here eight years later on from that program, and I still, I don't even know I use those things now. They've become second nature to me. But when I look back, those were the life skills that, that I learned during that session. Quick quiz, Shelley Roberts, yeah. at this moment, we're going to check on your operating rhythm. Do you have an <laughs> annual recovery plan locked in? If I looked at your diary, young lady, uh, with your husband and your two gorgeous children, do you have holidays planned coming up over the next six to 12 months? Oh my God, I do. Okay. <laughs> the first is visiting back Sydney over Christmas. Uh, but yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think it helps because the kids obviously take, you know, school holidays. And so it's really helpful to have that that calendarized, you know, make sure we're there. But something that I've been experimenting with is is actually with virtual working is to be somewhere else with them. And then say if we're away for a week, uh, work on two days of that week because that way I can actually spend more time away. And I'm actually finding the recovery in that is is better because you change your environment and you're able to to then sort of maximise those holiday days because you're actually probably spending more time out of your home environment in a different environment. Nice adaptation. So for those listening going, I'm not an executive, I'm not going to be in Surrey running one of the world's biggest food and catering organisations. I'll go through the framework and whether you're in a small business, whether you're employed by someone else or whether you are on your way into that executive role, these are the building blocks I work with. And if you don't have these, don't go past go, don't get $200. The first one is that operating rhythm, setting your week up so you go hard for 10 or 11 weeks. And I learned this, Shelley, from working with people like you and the banks I work with. It's called a reporting cycle every quarter. So you you have board reports and then there's a, a natural drop in intensity. Those people who have children in their immediate or extended family, it's called school term, 10 or 11 weeks, and then you have one or two weeks holiday. We look at energy balance. When I met you, you were majoring in stress and you know, stress is your fuel for growth. Stress is awesome. But Shelley Roberts, you also need to have intermittent recovery. Recovery, yeah, yeah. And actually, Andrew, just to, to the, what I really learned on the running uh, training for the marathon was I started off on one running program. And actually, that was, you know, because I thought the more I ran, the better it was going to be. But I had no concept of the physical recovery element. And I actually ended up getting injured because I was doing these massive five runs a week, really, really long distance. And then went to another training program was three runs a week, which allowed for more recovery. And I could not believe the, the difference in terms of ultimately the distance I could run and how I felt about that. So I think, you know, just that mental recovery, but also when, if you do something physical, understanding your physical recovery actually sort of reinforces that you need the mental recovery because your brain is the same as your muscles. And if you're not having that that downtime, you're not going to be able to, to build that resilience again. Who's this woman on the other end of the line? Like, <laughs> so what, who is this? Like, get Shelley Roberts on, right? Eight years ago. I told you it's stuck. I told you it's stuck. It's awesome. It is awesome. And look, and that is a lesson that so many of us need to learn. And I was blessed that I learned that coming through the Institute of Sport and then working with a lot of professional sporting teams. But I stuffed it up in my first iteration of the corporate career. I blame Pierre de Coubertin, the Frenchman in 1894, who came up with the Olympic creed, which is sitius, altius, fortius, faster, higher, stronger. He missed out mm -hmm. the Latin word recapatio, which is recovery or downregulate. So you can go faster, higher, stronger, as long as you drop down and recover, and then you can go again. So better week. When I first talked to you about the concept, so there's a construct behind this. There's five science-based principles. You can go to a previous podcast. Angela Poon and I bang on about all the science behind it. But the practicality of it is you put in the activities that fuel you, nourish you, connect you, then you put in work. That's an area you struggled because it was all work, 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 back-to-back -back meetings, board meetings, flights, and then try and squeeze in some time for you, yeah. family, fitness after that. What does your better week look like now? So I should probably call my EA in for this part of the interview <laughs> because actually you asked about the transition. When I was uh, coming over to the UK, I actually asked my EA, my my previous EA to brief my new EA on the better week because it was so important to me that I wanted to make sure that they each understood that. But I think absolutely, I think, you know, what I've done is I've put in so more limits, if you like, that I've set for myself around when I want to be home for putting the kids to bed so that I get that family time. I've put in limits about coming in and what time I'll start my meetings. So, you know, my EA knows not to organise meetings before 9.30, for example, because I want to get my run in. I want to see the kids around the breakfast table. I want to be able to, you know, have that time in the morning for me. 
so it you know it's very much about that structure the other thing that i've kept is the reflection time on a friday i do find that so much easier to do now with working from home on fridays i mean that's my rhythm so i'm in the office four days a week and then i work at home on a friday and i just think having that quality time on a friday morning after my run while my brain's still fresh to do that reflection for the week and do that strategic thinking and then keeping that time on a monday morning again to think about the week ahead think about where are my performance moments going to be in the week how do i want to balance my energy through the week so that i start the week with that intention i think it's very easy to sort of finish the week before and then have the weekend and then just lurch into the week so i like those pause moments at the beginning and the end of the week i am so bloody proud of you you are just rolling this stuff out we haven't spoken since you moved so it's 18 months ago two and a half years ago when we finished the coaching but you've embedded this I'm, I'm so proud of you. I just love it. I'm sure there's some people listening to this go, oh, can they just stop banging on about their energy and their fitness? I'm here. My backside's hanging out. I'm looking at my diary. It's back-to-back meetings. I just cannot see a way through the forest. You were there. What would you say to someone who just feels overwhelmed, overloaded, and quite frank, over it? I think the, um, you know, when I see this in with members of my team, I come back to the airline analogy of put your mask on first, because actually you can't be a great executive, you can't be a great mum, you can't be a great sports, per, you know, athlete or sports person if you actually aren't nourishing yourself and you aren't creating the space for yourself. So I think for me that switch had to go on, that actually I'm not an infinite resource and the quality of what I'll be able to bring. And and I saw this when I did change and I took fewer meetings, the quality of what I was able to produce in those meetings and the quality of my thought process and my decision-making improved because actually I wasn't running on empty the whole time. And whilst I thought I had unlimited energy, I actually didn't. And so all that was happening was the quality and the time were a trade-off. And I think I can't say I switched this overnight. You know, it's taken me eight years, but I think if you make, if, if you are intentional about it and you make a concerted effort. I think the other thing that I learned was, you know, those boundaries around not starting before 9.30 and, you know, not taking meetings after 5.30. It's very easy when a meeting in Australia comes up to say, actually, I'll do that at 7 a.m. And I started doing that for a while, which is why today we're talking at, what, 10.30, because I started doing that for a while. And then I realised if I'm in a global role and I'm constantly the one compromising, before I know it, my entire evening will be gone and my entire morning will be gone. And actually <laughs> the middle of the day will still be still be taken. So I, I think, you know, being able to to really stick to those boundaries at the beginning and the end of the day is probably the hardest thing I've found. I think the week is easier. I think it's within the day, trying to fit in everything that you want to fit in and not going beyond those boundaries. But if you don't, you, you, you make choices. Everything is an opportunity cost. Everything's a choice. And eventually you find the right the right level of of compromise and doing the work that only you can do rather than the work that others can do as well do you want a job do you, like i said before <laughs> we started recording that yeah i'm pretty busy with coaching we're looking at getting one or two other people in like if you ever want to pack it up <laughs> give me a yell I, I don't don't think i can pay you uk rates but geez you're good at this you're, you're doing this naturally and then all, all jokes aside i love hearing that i have no doubt that you've cascaded this down through your team as well yeah what, what i want to tap into now for a person listening to this who is aspirational and wants to get to that next level in their career, and if we stick it more to corporate, because we do have a whole range of people who listen to this. We have athletes, we have coaches, we have entrepreneurs. But if we stick more your experience in that lane of the corporate world, and if you're outside that, some of these lessons will be transferable as well. What What is your guidance to how do you get to that next level? How do you get up that next rung and if you want to build in some of the strategies that you may have used when you went over and set up in the UK? I think it comes down to your motivation. You only change if you want to change and it's great that other people will say oh I think you can do it or I believe in you or you know if you if you don't have that desire it's about what, what's the payoff you're going to get? What's the payback you're going to get? Sorry not payoff. <laughs> what's the payback you're going to get if you if you do that? And then just start doing it because as you start to make the, the change, I mean, someone once said to me, strategy is only knowing the next step. And I think what you gave me was here's a collection of next steps. If you take any of these steps, you're going to move forward. 
And I think as you experiment, you will see for yourself the difference that it makes in yourself and it makes in your life. And so it's just take that leap of faith. Um, you know, if you if you really want to make the change, take the leap of faith, apply the tools, just like you would anything else, right? So you pick up, if you want to start a marathon and start training towards a marathon, you pick up a training program and you start running the distance. You know, don't just take a bite of the elephant one chunk at a time. And I think sometimes the aspiration could be a bit overwhelming. But if you go, well, I don't need to run the marathon tomorrow. I just need to start with 7Ks and then 8Ks and then 9Ks <laughs> and then you do 9Ks and then you get to 10Ks. It's believing that methodology will get you there and, and just trusting in it and, and taking those steps. Confidence, when we talk about in psychology as a construct, is twofold. One, it's the reps and sets. It's doing the work. Two, it's backing yourself. Have you always been confident? If you go back to as a young girl, did you always back yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think like all of us, outwardly confident, but inside there's that voice in your head that goes, oh, can you really do this? And I'll tell you a really interesting thing. Uh, the night before the marathon, I got a text message from my brother and it said, are you sure you can do this? And I thought to myself, that's just incredible. My family should be sending me the text message the night before saying, you know, you can do this. And it, 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 it really messed with my head. And I was like, this is not the place I need to be the night before my marathon. And I actually turned off my phone. I <laughs> let my husband know because I was staying in London close to the start line. And I said, look, this is where I'm going to be because I'm turning off my phone now. And so I think it, you, you can be really confident. And up until then, you know, I had all the psych and all the prep. But actually that one little sentence and then coming from my brother really, really destabilized me. So I think, you know, confidence is a relative thing. Some days we're more confident than others. And I think we always have to, to nurture our confidence and, and build our confidence. But if we surround ourselves by people who are going to be supportive of us and are, are going to help us build that confidence, that, that's really important. It sounds like that confidence has transferred into your team with your EA and your immediate team as well. So you've adapted in that global role. What was challenging? When you packed up, I saw you not long before you left. It's exciting, but it's also a little bit nerve wracking, isn't it? You're going to a new country. You've got a whole new team. You've gone the level above where you were. So you're running the Australian business and suddenly you go into the global executive team of a business that has hundreds of thousands of employees. What did you find hard? Uh, well, other than the fact that we arrived here in the middle of the COVID epidemic, so it was actually that time when the UK was spiking. So this is you know three or four months before Australia was spiking. I was like, what am I doing? I'm taking my kids into, <laughs> they're going to guarantee to get COVID in the next few weeks or months. <laughs> anyway, they did and we, we all recovered, thank goodness. I think I also, you know, transitioned from from running a country and, and having full P&L accountability to being in more of an influencing role. And I think that stepping back and out of the detail and sort of getting that purview across 43 countries and starting to assimilate information across markets that I didn't know. Initially, I was like, oh, well, hang on a minute. Like, am I getting this? Am I getting this? Because I was having to learn 43 markets. And then you realize it's not my job to know 43 markets. It's my job to ask the right questions of those who do know the markets and see if I can, if I can get them to think differently about their market, if that's required at all. In some cases, actually, all I need to do is be supportive. So just rethinking what success looks like in the role. And I think, you know, going into new roles, we often have a thought around that. But when you're actually in the role, it can present as being something quite different. And some days I sort of get home and I think, oh, I just talked to people the whole day. <laughs> like, what, what, what value did I create? You know, there's not like a dollar number that I can attach to a business case I signed off or something like that. And I think in any transition, like just sort of giving yourself a break that actually you will come to that, but it takes a bit of time in the role to discover it. No one can give you that on a piece of paper when you arrive on day one. It's being patient and giving yourself the space to, to discover that and, and then build from there. One of the parts I love about a podcast when I'm talking to someone who I know and someone who's engaging and we can go off, off track, off pissed, we'd say if we were snow skiing. And this question just came to me. So you might just bat it away and go, Andrew, that's a silly question. I'd like to know, Shelley Roberts eight years ago, the overstretched, overwhelmed and over it, where you felt just hijacked, your whole central nervous system was hijacked. You, you told me you weren't switching off your brain and just felt like you, the water level was going up. Would have she even put a hand up for a role like what you're doing? Because I, I think that 
previous Shelley. I'm not going to call her the old Shelley because you're still sprightly <laughs> and sunshine Shelley. But the previous Shelley, how long do you reckon it would have taken her until she burned out the way she was operating back then? I didn't know that I would have ever been offered the role because what's essential is that you can demonstrate that you have capacity and you can apply that capacity to different things. And I was out of capacity. So I don't know that anyone looking at the way I was leading would have thought that's a scalable model. So I had to change the way I led in order to demonstrate that I could lead across a broader a broader remit. So, yeah, I mean, I think, and if, if I had been offered and I probably would have still taken it <laughs> because I'm ambitious. It might have been a train wreck. To, to but like for- I don't think I'd be sitting here 18 months later talking to you like this. I mean, certainly the conversation would be very different. And, you know, I, I think that... Yeah, I'd, I'd be in a very, very different place. I can see you flourishing, like you light up. It's obviously busy, but you feel like you're engaged. You're across multiple markets. Have you got a bit of travel in the role as well? Yeah, we do travel quite a bit because there's nothing like being in a market to, to get to know people and actually understand the dynamics of what's going on. So I'll be in Oslo next week. Then we've got some downtime. Uh, we're going to, to Italy for a holiday. Uh, but yeah, very much enjoying getting out across the business and, and meeting people. It's sort of like me, Wiz. I'm in Mudgy next week. It's a Mudgy Oslo. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same, same but different. Hey, I did say in the introduction, I'd, I'd come back to the example you had when you weren't managing performance moments. And for anyone who's got no idea the language that you and I are talking about, because you're just such a good coaching student now, just teaching everyone around you, a performance moment is a moment that matters. At the start of the day, when you look at your diary and you think, what are the meetings? What are the presentations? It could be a market update for those that do media, one-on-one. It's also transitioning when you go back home to family, flatmates, friends, loved ones, the moments that matter. Do you want to go back to that performance moment where you weren't conscious, where you weren't mindful? And I'll, I'll allow you to give as much or little detail on that. And then do you want to pick a moment in the last week or so to show us the contrast to what you did before that and, and the difference in that meeting? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I came to one of our coaching sessions having had a really bad experience at a board meeting. I'd been rushing, dealing with a whole lot of other stuff in the business until literally minutes before the board meeting grabbed my iPad, grabbed a water, ran to the next room and dialed into a virtual board meeting. And I remember just really being behind the pace throughout that meeting. I didn't show up well. I didn't really, I was trying to motivate for something we wanted to invest in. And I came to the end of it and I thought, well, I won't be surprised if they say no, because that just did not go well at all. Um, and I remember bringing that to a coaching session. You sort of like puzzled me and said, well, you know, what did you say you were doing two minutes before going into the board meeting? I was like, yeah, well, you know, there was this really important thing and there was this crisis and I had to do this. And of course, you know, everything's a crisis. And you said, well, how about trying something different next time? Make sure, you know, at least 15 minutes before the meeting that you have exited whatever it was you were doing before and you actually start preparing for the meeting ahead not in terms of any of the content but actually start preparing yourself um and then you taught me box breathing and so i was like okay all right well everything else andrew sims worked so let's try this and before the next board meeting because i had a quick sort of short sharp turnaround on it to try it again and i did the box breathing and i felt completely different in the meeting. I got a completely different result at the meeting. And so for me, it's very rare, you know, where you can have that kind of compare and contrast in, in such a relative way. And that just, just taught me everything. So I'm really, really conscious now if I'm going to these big moments to just have that time before and make sure that I'm on my own. Sometimes I remove myself, you know, because it's easy when you're in an office or you someone will still grab you because they think, oh, she looks like she's free. Um, actually just go and take myself off somewhere else and just have those moments to to do that breathing, to, to come into, you know, focus on what it is that I need to achieve next. That's an interesting one. When, you, when you're back here in Oz, we'll catch up. We'll go for a run. As I said before we started recording, I'm tapping out at 5 to 6K. You can go do whatever. <laughs> I'll, I'll do a bit of a swim. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll fill you in on a longer story. But the, the highlight or the high level of it is uh, I've been doing a few bigger talks in America and some of those are – yeah, just under 10,000. One later this year is 15 to 18. That's a, it's a large wow. range, but it's a big audience. 
And I, a good Aussie term, shit myself, like just sitting there breathing, stressed out before this talk I had in America and a few other ones I've done in Australia, some of the bigger ones as well. And I realised what I was doing on some of those ones where I was losing it is I was sitting either next to the CEO, the CFO, the EIA, someone of importance in the company, and I'm, I'm there in it rather than going, hey, there's two people before me. I need to chill. I need to control both my physical, my psychological and my emotional energy and then beyond before. So I do exactly that. We haven't spoken about it. I, I like that you're doing that to sometimes remove yourself from the environment because otherwise everyone will be Shelly, Shelly, Shelly and then come on and be on when you need to rather than burn all that energy before the big moment. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Well, you, you know, I haven't I haven't had it perform in front of 18,000 people but uh, it sounds like uh, you're practising what you preach. It freaked me out and I had to use every mental skill. Like the imposter syndrome was running rampant uh, what if they don't understand me? And I'll, I'll tell you the whole story when we come in because I want to get on to Performance Uncovered. I want to ask you yeah. 13 questions, Shelley Roberts, as uh. fast or as long form as you like. The first answer that comes to mind, just hit me with it. Number one, what is your favourite movie? Uh, I'd love to say I watch movies, Andrew, but it is the one thing that's that's gone. I'd rather actually, I remember actually on the program talking about the quality of sleep you get before 12 o'clock. So my objective is to get into bed as early as I can every single night. And that, that the thing that's absolutely gone is that hour of TV between 9.30 and 10.30 um, because I'd actually rather be in bed at 10 and hopefully snoring by 10.05. I love op- asking open-ended questions. That's why Shannon, my amazing EA, said ask more open-ended questions because you get different answers and you find out what people really do. There you go, Shannon. Question number two, what song do you know all of the lyrics to? It is Eye of the Tiger is my favourite karaoke song. We'll put this over. Do you want to do you want to give us a rendition, or do you just want me to play the music? Maybe later. Maybe later. Why don't you just splice it in? <laughs> Question three: What food can't you get enough of? Well, if you were asking me for my downfall, uh, it is ice cream, and I just make sure I run a bit faster and a bit harder the next day. <laughs> what flavour? I'm actually quite happy with vanilla. I've oh, yeah. uh, vanilla and coffee. Coffee is the other one, but I can't have coffee ice cream if it's too late in the day. So then it becomes vanilla. Run a marathon, eat what you want. Number four. What book has had the biggest impact on your life? Uh, well, I think you've already heard that it was Matchford. But no, I think you know in terms of books, I really enjoy reading business books. Um, I really enjoyed. I can't remember the title now, but it's that book about the Netflix uh, journey. Um, and just how they had a business that got disrupted and then they disrupted themselves. And I think that's there's so many parallels in that for, for us to always remember. Five, what is your most meaningful possession? Mm, I don't really major on possessions. I don't, I don't sort of want to become attached to things that, you know, having moved all over the world, it's just extra stuff you have to put in a container. Your, so, la- your London Marathon yeah. medal, say that, your <laughs> London Marathon medal. Oh, yes. The marathon medal, yes. Oh, great answer. Yes, which which my husband kindly stood in a queue for two hours to get engraved for me the following day with my time. So, yes. Question six, I'm really interested on this. What does your weekly fitness routine look like these days? So I'm training for a 10K race next Sunday. Um, I'm going for speed rather than distance. So my weekly routine at the moment is uh, two speed runs and one sort of medium run. Anything other than running? Uh, yep, some two strength sessions. Um, that was the other thing I had to learn was to put the strength sessions in. Um, and then I enjoy a bit of swimming as well, doing some open water. Open water in the UK? Yes. Well, we have to make the most of it being 32 degrees at the moment, you know. So, so <laughs> what's the temperature? Because the water over there... <laughs> it's not it's, bad. Yeah. It's not bad. So I think at the moment it's sitting at about 16 degrees. You've definitely got the job, Wizard. She's much more attractive, much more engaging than me. Let me just get <laughs> Shelley to do this. <laughs> Question seven. What is your favourite failure? I think, well, there were some deals I worked on that didn't get through and I had become quite invested in those. And I think when I look back, I realised that actually sometimes you can become too, when you want something really, really badly, you can become too immersed in it and then lose the broader context. So I, I think that bit about always being able to come back out of something and go, this is not the end of the world, you know, the business will move forward. It's okay. Eight, what do you do to recharge? Run. <laughs> Shelly no, Roberts. Seriously. 
Well, seriously, no, seriously, seriously. I learned the other day from my physiotherapist that it is the routine pattern of running and putting your feet down one after the other that is the blah, 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 physiological recovery thing. Uh, other than that, what do I do to recover? I love seeing the kids in action. So watching them at sport or seeing Abby sing in a choir or anything like that. Good, good save. Running will give you psychological detachment because when you're running, you're not thinking about work or going to Oslo or maybe you are thinking about where you're going to go out to dinner or some of the sightseeing, but it helps you switch off psychologically. The second part is that physiological down-regulating the parasympathetic activation. So doing those activities where you are calmer with the kids will bring that in as well. Question nine, we've already done this, but your key tip to people who don't prepare for key performance moments, what would you tell them to do? Or if you want a different result, try something different. So, for example, do box breathing. Number 10, what keeps you up at night? The kids. <laughs> Alex has a habit of waking up at 5am in the morning. Abby has a habit of struggling to fall asleep at night. So, you know, somewhere between that, uh, I get a full night's sleep. <laughs> Next question, what is your number one productivity tip? I've always, I think if you do things you enjoy, then you're naturally productive. And I think rather than needing to force productivity, if you're passionate and you're enjoying something, you will be productive. And 12, who has been your most influential mentor? There are so many people that have been really helpful to me. I actually had the opportunity here to reconnect with my very first boss at KPMG uh, when I was in London, 1997. And he's actually just retired from KPMG. And it was unreal how we were able to have a conversation. What is it, 25 years later, whatever the number is. And I found his guidance to me as helpful as I'd found it 25 years ago when I was a fresh graduate at KPMG. So, uh, you know, it's wonderful, I think, to have people that, you know, like our eight-year relationship, it's wonderful to have relationships that you can carry through your life and people who really know you and really get you because they just offer you such perspective. Every time we have a conversation, I have a new, something else lands for me. Yeah, so I think it's not about one, it's actually about different different mentors for different, different experiences. Mm, I, I agree with that. It's having, you can have mentors that come in and out of your life and you might have a specific area you want to learn and the, the yeah. root of the word mentor, Latin word mentore, to be like, I'm looking at getting a mentor for a skill that I want to work on at the moment, it's part of the business that I'm actually looking at one or two people to, to work with intensely for that. And then I've had some other mentors for years as well that come in, in and out of your life at different times. Final question, what is your definition of high performance? I think for me, it's about seeing impact. So, you know, if you create outcomes that have impact, I think that to me, yeah, that to me is high performance. And the final, final question before we wrap up and you've got a global business to go and run. <laughs> is there a question I didn't ask you? Who are you thinking, oh, he's going to ask me this and I want to answer this? Or do you want to flip it? Is there a question you want to ask me? So what, what oh, question should I have I asked you? Or, yeah. Now I get to turn the mic. What would you say, Andrew, is the bit of advice that you share with others but you find hardest to implement yourself? There's periods where I know I have a lot on, like now, where it's not sustainable. So when I look at what we're building with Strive Stronger, a digital, physical and psychological wellbeing platform, with my business under my name, doing the keynotes I do, doing coaching, doing the podcast and a bit of the media work I do, and then running mental skills programs now for two sporting teams and working with a number of athletes some who you know, travel around the world and want me to go to events with them. That's a lot. It's unsustainable. But I bloody love it. And <laughs> when I'm having some of those nights, so I'm in a period at the moment, Shell, where I, I know I can't keep doing this forever. I have a little bit of FOMO, but I also think I, I had a big birthday earlier this year and ticked over into the fives. It's 25 years of reps and sets and domain expertise 
to have some of these opportunities. So I know what we're building with Stride Stronger and some of the conversations we're having about potential partnerships is really bloody exciting. But I've got to keep going. We've got to build the next stage of our digital platform, probably six months, and then I can start really having some serious conversations with some potential corporate partners. If I just drop that now, I, all, all that work won't come to fruition. So yeah, there's some times where I go, hey, this is a lot. But what I do, what I come back to, so getting to your answer, I come back to purpose and it's a higher order for me. So my, my purpose is, is waking people up to reach their full potential. So I totally feel like I'm on purpose when I reconnect with you because I see that you're this corporate that's a layer out there taken on the world. That makes me feel like I'm on purpose. That energizes me. And if I look at the three different parts of what I'm doing, they, all, they are all part of the larger purpose. So to stop rambling, because it was a good question and you really got me thinking, Shelley Roberts, how dare you? I'm in a period at the moment which is unsustainable and I know it. I think articulating that is part of the strategy to know I can do this for another six or 12 months. I think articulating that, letting people know that you know I do want to partner with Stride Stronger, so maybe those opportunities will come to fruition if you think it, it starts to manifest. But I know I can get through it without falling in a heap and I know I'm not going to burn out because I love it and I feel like it's, it's, it's contributing to a greater cause. Because when you say purpose, it's got to be three things. Number one, it's got to be bigger than you. Number two, it's got to be future focused. And three, it's got to excite the living daylights out of you. So all those three things are that. Uh, I just know there's a period where I'm going to run out of fuel. But I coach around this now and I think that's one area where I've changed. There's periods in your life where you just pick the ball up and run really hard because those opportunities may not come again. But just make sure you're down-regulating along the way. Good question, Shelley Robert. Sounds like uh, you need to grab that oxygen mask, Andrew Bay. Yeah, I, well, I do periodically. I, I, I make sure I have holidays. I do stick to the 10 or 11 weeks down-regulate, 10 or 11 weeks and down-regulate. But the 10 or 11 are big weeks. That's probably also like look at your 10 or 11 weeks now. You, your water level rises, as you said, you build yeah. your capacity. So maybe I just need to catch up and go, I've got the capacity and I can keep doing this for a long period of time. Yeah, brilliant. Well, there you go. Final message, what do you want to take everyone out to? I think trust. Trust in this is, you know, your methodology is grounded on having changed many people's lives and trust that it works. Because if you do these things, you will reap the benefits. And if you're on the precipice of thinking about it and doing it differently, just jump in with both feet, do it differently, and you will see the difference it makes yourself. And then you'll be doing a podcast. I feel like I need to do push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> You've given us the push-up guarantee. You had a company to run, a global company to run. Hey, thank you for your time. It's been lovely reconnecting. I'm just going to think about now, who are the friends I haven't spoken to in ages? Let's get them on and do a podcast. We find out about everything they're doing. Give me a yell when you're here and we'll definitely go for a five to six K run. And then after you go do your crazy 20 K run, I'll meet you for a coffee. Sounds great. Awesome. Cheers, Andrew. See ya. Take care. Hi there, it's me again, jumping in after having listened to that episode with Shelley. Wow, the way that she put a lot of those practices around the better week, around the physiology, around the down-regulating, the mental skills. I'm so proud of Shelley. I'm also really proud of an entirely new product we've got called Performance Intelligence Mastermind. I've been running this program with a number of corporate clients and it's based on a theme every quarter. Quarter one is match fit getting your body and brain to be physically and psychologically strong. Quarter two is about work fit, which is working smarter and really getting clarity on what it is you love doing. Quarter three, training the brain is about mental skills and performing under pressure. And quarter four is about habit stacking and amplifying all of this. The programs I've been running are corporate programs and the coaching I do is high level high and it's, it's a high investment as well. The coaching starts at $15,000 per person and I realize that's prohibitive for many people. So we wanna make this available for the Performance Intelligence Tribe. We're starting a Performance Intelligence Mastermind for the public. It begins the week commencing Monday the 9th of October. It's the same format with the four quarterly themes. So if you go to andrewmay.com slash Performance Intelligence Mastermind, you'll be able to read about how we set up the framework. It's a half-day workshop every quarter. And then six weeks later, it's a 90-minute group coaching session 
There are diagnostics to show you where you are for each of the quarterly themes. There's a digital resource which has got loads of content to help you put this into practice. The first 15 to 20 people that register, we're going to start this program in early October. So go to that website, andrewmay.com slash performance intelligence mastermind, and I would love you to join that class. Now let's get on to the reflections with Shannon and myself. Shannon Frost, affectionately known as Frosty. Shannon is my business manager and EA. Joining me on the reflection, a lot of the changes on the Performance Intelligence Podcast are your fault, young lady. We now do the Performance Uncovered because you said to me in a really nice way, I think you could maybe improve this. The podcast trailers we're doing, your fingerprints are all over the podcast behind the scenes. So now I'm dragging you onto the microphone to give reflections on Shelley Roberts, who also came from South Africa. So see, I've, I've tried to weave you into this by pulling on the national card. What do you think about that interview with Shelley? Well, you said it in the beginning of the interview, Shelley's a powerhouse, and that's exactly how I felt by the end of it. Just her career is so impressive for me as a South African, for a young woman who grew up in her father's restaurant, to now be a leader of a global catering food and beverage business. It's just so impressive and inspiring for someone like me. So yeah, I loved it, and I loved hearing her stories back in South Africa, and her relationship with her family was like a common thread throughout the whole interview that I really, really love. And the impact she has now, those statistics, Compass is in 40 countries around the world, 55,000 different sites, and over 5 billion meals they serve. Like when we were saying that wizard before, we just going, that is ridiculous, the magnitude, the impact that they have. My take out, I had two on this one, Shannon. What a star student. She's just so warm and caring and thankful, but she did all the work. Like, I literally haven't done anything with Shelley for 18 months, and she plays back Here's a Better Week. You heard her talk about that with Georgina, her EA, and they even had a handover with Shelley's previous EA. Just an amazing awareness on what she needs to be successful and then empowering her team. So it was really, really great to listen to a, a client talk about what they've done. If everyone was like Shelley, I'd have no business. We'd have no <laughs> business. We wouldn't be sitting here. Yeah, I loved when she said it was so important for her e- her previous EA and current EA to meet because executives and EAs have such a unique bond that just can't be built in a day. It's built over years and years. So the fact that Shelley recognized that, connected the two of them to brief her on the better week, to set herself up for success, it was just gold and it just resonated so much with me and my transition from my previous role to working with you. Uh, I just think, yeah, she's a star student, she's a powerhouse, she's a boss. This is a boss. I'm learning all these new terms from you that I then go home and share with my teenage daughter, Michaela, and she goes, Dad, where'd you learn that? Too, you're too old to say that, champ. That's what she said to me recently. You're too old to say that, champ. Picking up on what you said, so many people who have either a dedicated support staff or shared team of support, they don't use the assets, the wonderful men and women in that team properly. You really do need to talk to your support staff about what you want success to look like, spend time onboarding them, and then go back naturally. And that's what Shelley did beautifully when she went over to the UK. We see this a lot in the work that you do now. Did you have any idea when you joined my business, you'd be podcasting, you'd be teaching. You were with me with a large Australian company with their executive team last week, and you starred. I'm thinking I'm going to be out of this soon. You'll just be presenting. Did you have any idea you'd be doing this behind the scenes? Absolutely not. I think being an EA... You're, you're really the engine behind a larger company and the role is so diverse, no day is exactly the same. So, so what I'm learning is balancing that relationship leads to more success for yourself personally, for your executive and the team as a whole. Any more takeouts from Shelley? I've got another one, but I, I want to see whether you had the same one. I just loved hearing about her relationship with her dad. I don't know if that's what you were going to yeah, pull out with the, with the marathon. It's just, I love that it, it was her motivator. Her dad was her motivator to get her through. But then also when she brought her, her brother into the story too. Just that family line just seems to be a common thread for me. Come throughout. on, brother, step up before <laughs> your sister does a marathon. Don't send messages like that, big guy. And the way that she explained that story, I get goosebumps still going back to the moment when she told Wizard and I that the photo of her father popped up on her mobile phone just after she finished the marathon. 
That was just beautiful. Yeah, her finishing that marathon was just absolutely meant to be, and she did it for her dad. One other observation I've got, Shannon, at the start of the interview, I said, welcome, Sunshine Shelley. She really does bring energy to the room. Now, you, Wizard, the team, you've heard me bang on and talk about this. It's called social contagion theory. How you show up as a leader, we have mirror neurons in our brain. And when we show up energized and positive and looking at solutions, guess what happens? The team around you does the same. If you show up cranky, shitty, looking at what's wrong, guess what happens? Other people start mirroring the same. So, Wiz, you said something to me really interesting at the end when we were doing our quick reflection. Now, to get Shelley at 10 a.m. in the UK, we started recording around 10, 30, 11 p.m. at night. So we finished this interview quite late. You said to me? Yeah, as soon as Shelley jumped on the call, like even over Zoom, her energy was just infectious. It kind of woke me up. I was like, oh, geez, all right, here we go. And I said, oh, yeah, mate, sounds like my energy's putting you to sleep. <laughs> so thank God we've got Shelley. <laughs> Did you have any other observations from that? No, I think you covered pretty much everything, yeah. Frosty, this is your first reflection. Send us home with something to think about. Send us home with your final message. I think my biggest takeaway as well, everyone's different, everyone plays different roles in a team. Some are extroverted, introverted, like to work alone or together. I think one thing we can all take from Shelley is we can all bring a little bit of sunshine to the, our work days and our work life and sprinkle it around and you never know where it'll lead you, either to a London marathon or to the top of a massive global catering company. You guys are good. Hello, it's Shannon Frost and The Wizard. Welcome to the Performance Intelligence Podcast. Hey, thanks for joining us. You're going to do more of these. Wasn't that bad, was it? No, not too bad. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> Great rap. <laughs>